This is the Why We Travel podcast, the podcast dedicated to those who want to explore the world on their terms. Each week, you'll hear from amazing travelers and experts sharing their best travel stories from the road. Listen to their unique travel experiences and get insider tips about their favorite destinations. Whether you're an experienced world nomad or just getting started, this podcast will inspire you, improve your travel skills, change the way you travel, and motivate you to get out and see the world. Discover the art of independent travel and meet fellow travelers in our online community. Now, let's get into it with your host and world traveler, Claus Louder. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Why We Travel podcast. Today we want to talk about a country that is not on everyone's travel list. It's in the middle of Central Asia. It's Uzbekistan. So we want to find out why Uzbekistan should be on your travel list. For that, I have a guest on the show today, Sophie Ibertsen. She's a consultant and writer specializing in Central Asia, where she has worked since 2008. She's the chairman of the Royal Society of Asian Affairs, director of the Silk Road Literacy Festival and Uzbekistan ambassador for tourism. So she's definitely the right person to talk to. Hi, Sophie. How are you today? Hi there. I'm very well, thank you. Sophie, before we get started, always talking about traveling, always want to know what is your first childhood memory on traveling? My first childhood memory must be camping in France. When I was a child, we lived in the south of England and taking the ferry to France, usually in the rain, was our summer holiday every year. And I have great memories of particularly eating chips and going swimming and riding my bicycle around a campsite that I think probably was filled entirely with other English families. But I loved it. Okay, that sounds great. Good start. Now, you are not only living and working in Uzbekistan, you also have written some guidebooks about Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. So what got you to Uzbekistan? I was always very, very interested in travel. And when I was a student, I thought that my life would be tied to South Asia rather than Central Asia. So at university, I studied Hindi and Urdu. I went to university for a year in India. And after I graduated with some friends, I thought, well, flying home is boring. Why don't we drive? So to make it even harder for ourselves, we had two auto rickshaws, the three-wheeled tuk-tuks, and we decided to drive back from India to the UK. And that route took us across India, through Pakistan, up the Karakoram Highway to China, and then over the Torakat Pass into Kyrgyzstan. And if you've ever been in a tuk-tuk, you'll know that these are very much fair weather vehicles. They're not designed for snow, they're not designed for ice. But the winter had come early in Kyrgyzstan. We ended up coming through the mountains at very high altitude in these ridiculous and very unsuitable vehicles. And we decided that actually this was a, a very, very stupid thing indeed. We were going to get ourselves killed. And we thought the best thing to do was to sit in Kyrgyzstan and wait until the spring came and we could continue our journey. Fate, I think, had very different ideas. I got offered a job in Kyrgyzstan and that was 2008. And now here we are, 14, 15 years on. I'm still working in Central Asia. The auto rickshaws never made it out of Bishkek, but it was an introduction an unexpected introduction to a region that I've become very passionate about. Okay, that's one of the stories where life dictates where you're heading to and not really planned. Sounds great. Now, you're obviously very close. Central Asia is nothing that people have on their main map. I haven't been in this region. I've traveled a lot, but not in this region. All the countries with Arn are still on my to-do list. Now, this is a very famous route. The Silk Road is very famous. Uzbekistan, small country, former Soviet Union. Tell me a little bit about the country. The first thing to challenge you, if people think Uzbekistan is a small country, but it's not. Actually, it's about the same size as Spain in land area, same size as California, if you're thinking about it in terms of the United States. 
So it's a fairly substantial land area, geographically very, very varied from deserts and steppe in the west all the way through to high mountains in the east. And if you look at a map, Central Asia, I mean, it's in the name, it is in the centre of the region. And Uzbekistan in particular, we call the heart of the Silk Road because of its location. There were always people traveling, whether they were armies, whether they were pilgrims, whether they were merchants. And they were coming from Turkey and Iran and the Gulf in the West, from Afghanistan, South Asia, China, Russia, all of the surrounding areas. And if they wanted to go somewhere else, they had to pass through what is now Uzbekistan. And that's why it became not only such a wealthy place in the ancient medieval period, but also a place of great culture, of learning. And the cities that were built there, in particular places like Bukhara and Kiva, all of which are UNESCO World Heritage Sites now, were considered to be some of the great cities of the ancient medieval world. Okay, so it's a vast country, different regions, probably a lot of different societies there. What's the vibe in a country? How does it feel? It's a very laid-back country. It's a very easy country to travel, which is something that people are often quite surprised about, particularly if they've traveled previously in the Middle East or in India, where things can be quite hectic. Uzbekistan, people tend to be quite calm, very polite. Things are relatively well organized, and that makes for an easy travel experience. Okay. What kind of plan would you have in mind traveling the country? Are there specific regions or specific cities or side things, things that you need to go to and you should have on your list? On a first visit to Uzbekistan, the UNESCO World Heritage Sites are the must-see. You can't go to Uzbekistan and not go to the Registan in Samarkand. It would be like going to Paris and not seeing the Eiffel Tower or going to India and not seeing the Taj Mahal. So Samarkand is the absolute must-see site. But also the UNESCO sites in Bukhara, Kiva and Shakri Subs are equally extraordinary. If you've only got about a week, I generally say to people that you'll fly into Tashkent, which is the capital, and then go to Samarkand and Bukhara. And you can do those three cities easily in a week because there's a high-speed train which links them together. The transport becomes very easy. If you've got 10 days or more, then you go out to the western part of Uzbekistan as well. You go to Kiva, which has got a magnificent walled city with some fabulous monuments. But I also suggest going up to Karakol, Pakistan, which is an autonomous republic in the northwest of Uzbekistan. And there's a huge amount of archaeological sites there, very, very important fortresses, Zoroastrian, Tower of Silence, Mausolea, all sorts of very, very interesting ancient sites, but also the remains of the Aral Sea, which most people are aware of because of the great environmental disaster, but it's also an extraordinary landscape. Okay. What kind of traveler will you find in Uzbekistan? Is it more solo travelers, adventure travelers, individual travelers, or group organized travelers? The travelers who come to Uzbekistan are a real mix. In terms of visitors from Europe, I think the average age probably is 55. And there's a lot of people who come on organized group tours, cultural trips to go to the Silk Road cities. However, if you look at the independent travelers, they're a very, very different demographic. They tend to be younger, traveling on more of a budget and a lot more adventurous. And certainly if you go to some of the less visited destinations, perhaps to Temiz, for example, in the southern part of Uzbekistan, or if you go into the mountains, there you tend to find people who are backpacking, people who want to do some climbing, mountain biking, even skiing, or who have got a particular passion, for example, stargazing or bird watching or archaeology. Okay. You just mentioned budgeting. There's something for everyone, but what do you need to budget for a trip, for like a 10-day trip in Uzbekistan? The budget you have is going to completely depend on what sort of accommodation you want to have. There are places where you can easily spend 
$10-$15 a night and stayed somewhere quite comfortable. But there are other places if you want a five-star hotel, then you're going to be looking at $100-$120. By international standards, that's still very cheap. It does impact your budget. Typically, if you're eating in a reasonable restaurant, dinner will cost you under $5, a beer $1 or $2, depending on the sort of restaurant that you're in. And public transport, including the high-speed train, is also very cheap. Okay. Talking about food, most of us travelers are foodies and want to explore whatever is offered in a restaurant or wherever they can get some food. Tell me a little bit about how it is in Uzbekistan. What can I expect there? One of the advantages of being in the middle of the Silk Road is that Uzbekistan has had gastronomic exchange with everywhere around it. So you'll always find something that you recognize. The national dish is called plov and it has UNESCO intangible cultural heritage status and is very similar to a pilau or a biryani or a risotto or even a paella because those are dishes, rice-based dishes, with a selection of meats or fish and vegetables. And the concept traveled along the Silk Road. So there are different variations wherever you go. Uzbekistan is very proud of its plot. And even from one town or city to the next, the recipe is slightly different. And everybody will tell you that their version is the absolute best. Apart from that, there is lagman, which is a noodle-based dish. Many soups, many salads, because there's a lot of quite fertile agricultural land in Uzbekistan, particularly in the east of the country. Amazing fresh bread called non samsa, which are pastries very similar to an Indian samosa, and manti, which is a steamed dumpling. All of those things, very, very tasty. A lot of kebabs as well. Some people tell me that if they're a vegetarian, they find it a little bit difficult because there's not a lot of variety in non-meat dishes. But there is always fresh fruit. There is always fresh vegetables, grilled vegetables as well. And there are some very good vegetarian variations of popular dishes. For example, the munty dumplings I mentioned commonly might be filled with lamb or potato, for example, but there are also really good versions which are filled with pumpkin or with spinach. You can survive as a vegetarian. Okay, definitely made me hungry. When it comes to communicating with the locals, do we get lost in translation or can you get around with English? How does that work? In tourist areas, a wide variety of languages are spoken. The main languages spoken in Uzbekistan itself by local people would be Uzbek, Russian because of the Soviet legacy, and also languages like Tajik because there's a big Tajik ethnic group within Uzbekistan. But increasingly younger people in schools are learning English and anybody within the tourism sector, whether you're talking about hotels, drivers, people working at tourist attractions will speak some English. You also often in places like Bukhara find a number of people who will speak French or Spanish or German, because the tourists who come to Uzbekistan come from all around the world. Okay, sounds great. Now, you have been living in a country for quite some time. What is the one thing that somebody must do, which is not in the guidebook? It is in the guidebook, but I would certainly recommend it, and it might be something that surprises you. And that is to take the metro when you're in Tashkent, which is the capital, has got this absolutely extraordinary subway system that was built from the 1970s onwards. And every single station in the older part of the metro system was designed by a different architect and artist. So there's one, for example, called Alisher Navoy, which is inspired by a medieval poet and writer who's considered to be the father of Uzbek literature. So that metro station feels almost like a mosque with beautiful painted domes and with panels depicting scenes from his different poetry. There's another metro station called Cosmonaut, which is dedicated to the Soviet space program. And so you've got people like Gagarin, on the walls and all of these different astronauts, famous figures, others which are decorated with mosaics or with fantastic chandeliers. And so it really is a bit like being in a public art gallery in a public space. And for about 10 cents, you can get a metro ticket and get on and off 
at as many of the platforms as you want to see these extraordinary stations. Okay, no, that sounds great. That's definitely an adventure within the adventure. Now, how do you get to Tashkent, specifically from Europe? If you're from Europe, do you need to apply for a visa? What's the best way to get there? Uzbekistan now is visa-free for more than 90 nationalities, and that includes all EU passport holders and also UK passport holders. So most people will not need a visa at all for up to a 30-day visit. If you do need a visa, there is an e-visa system which works reasonably well. So the actual bureaucracy is quite straightforward. In terms of the flights, Uzbekistan Airways, which is the national airline, flies to a number of European destinations direct. So you can fly, for example, from Frankfurt, from London. If you are living in an area where there is not a Uzbekistan Airways flight, my suggestion at the moment is Turkish Airlines. Because Turkish Airlines has very good connectivity via Istanbul and then daily flights from Istanbul, not only to Tashkent, but also to Samarkand and Bukhara. Okay, sounds great. So I think definitely a country that people should put on their travel list. Sounds very interesting. Lots to see and to do there. Where can people find out more about you and the books that you have written? The guidebook that I've written is called Uzbekistan and it's published by UK publisher Bratz Guides. So that's widely available in bookshops and also from Amazon and from Bratz's own website. In terms of more general tourist information, the official tourism website is uzbekistan.travel and that's the one which is run by the Ministry of Tourism and they've got some good information on that. You can also follow them on social media at uzb underscore travel and you can follow me at uzambassador on Twitter and on Instagram. Okay, I will put the links in the show notes and you're just one click away. Sophie, thanks so much for giving us a short introduction into Uzbekistan, a very interesting country and I hope that you will see a lot of my listeners very soon in the country. <laughs> I hope to see you in Uzbekistan soon too. I will put it on my list. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey Klaus here, before you leave, I have a question. Are you a traveler? Do you have a favorite travel destination or favorite travel experiences that you would like to share with the world? Then become a guest on the Why We Travel podcast. Simply message me and I will get you all the details for becoming interview guest and then we take it from there. That's it for now. I'll see you in the next episode and have a great day.